So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, the parable of the sower. Now I wonder how you would answer this question. What is the most important passage of scripture in the Bible? How would you answer that? Maybe you'd answer it, there's no such thing. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness. And that is true. But if someone sort of put a gun to my head and said, you have to pick one passage of scripture, which is the most important passage of scripture in the Bible, I would probably turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Isn't that exciting? So we're going to arguably hear the most important passage of scripture in the Bible this morning. And I'm going to give you three quick reasons why Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20 is, arguably, the most important passage of Scripture in the Bible. And the first reason is, if we understand the parable of the sower, that will help us to begin to understand the whole Bible. Does that make sense? If we understand the parable of the sower... That'll help us to begin to understand the meaning of the whole Bible. And you might be thinking, how? Well, if we want to understand the whole Bible, we've got to understand the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Word of God. And the Bible is called the Word of Christ. And Jesus explains the Bible, doesn't he? Jesus explains the writings of Moses. Jesus explains the prophets and the Psalms. And then the New Testament is just building on the teachings of Jesus. The apostles are building on the teachings of Jesus. And if we want to understand the teachings of Jesus... We've got to understand his parables, because he spoke a lot in parables. And if we want to understand Jesus' parables, well, we've got to begin by understanding the parable of the sower. So does that make sense? Why is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, arguably the most important passage of Scripture? Firstly, if we understand Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, we can understand the whole Bible. Because if we understand Jesus' teachings, we understand the whole Bible. If we want to understand Jesus' teachings, we've got to understand his parables. And if we want to understand Jesus' parables, we've got to understand the parable of the sower. And we get that from verse 13, don't we? Verse 13 is so important. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So we've got to understand the parable of the sower if we want to understand any of Jesus' other parables. If we want to understand Jesus' teachings, we've got to start here. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. And the second reason why I believe Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20 could be the most important passage of Scripture in the Bible is if we want to be changed... When we hear the word of God, it'll do us good to understand the parable of the sower. And we all want to change, don't we, when we come in contact with God's word. I mean, why have we come here this morning? Have we just come here to be maybe entertained or something? 
No, I suppose the longest part of the meeting is God's word being preached, isn't it? God's word being opened up and declared and explained. And we want that to change us, don't we? We all want to leave this place today changed. Every time we come into contact with God's word, every time we hear God's word being read and preached and taught, we want it to be life-changing. And if we want that to be a life-changing experience, we'll do well to understand Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. And if we understand the parable of the sower, that will really help us when we do evangelism. It'll help our souls, it'll help our thinking when we do evangelism. So when the team of us go out later this afternoon, um, with the Christmas cards, that's got God's word on it, isn't it? Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. This passage will really help us when we do that this afternoon. So, three reasons why Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 20 is arguably the most important passage of scripture in the Bible. If we understand Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 20, we'll begin to understand the whole Bible better. We'll be changed when we hear God's word being preached and taught. And thirdly, it will help us in evangelism. So do we want all that? Do we want all that? Do we want to understand the whole Bible better? Do we want to be changed when we come into contact with God's word? Do we want help in evangelism? Of course we do. So let's dive into Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2. Again, Jesus began to teach And that's significant, isn't it? That's why Jesus came, he said in Mark chapter 1. I've come to preach and to teach the good news. That's why Jesus came, isn't it? Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables so the first question why did jesus teach in parables why did jesus teach in parables well i've heard some people say well jesus taught in parables to make his teaching easier to understand and humanly speaking that kind of makes sense doesn't it people say oh can you tell it to me in a story (laughs) give me an illustration you know paint me a pretty picture We all love stories, don't we? Everyone likes an illustration. If a point is being made, it's nice to illustrate the point with a story. But that's not why Jesus taught in parables. If anything, it's the opposite reason, which is a bit mind-blowing. It's not an easy passage, but if we read Mark chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, that tells us why Jesus taught in parables. Mark 4, 9 to 12. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. 
And that's not an easy passage of scripture. It's quite a hard passage of scripture, isn't it? But that is telling us that Jesus spoke in parables so that people wouldn't understand his message, isn't it? I said, what is that about? Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus speak in parables so that people wouldn't understand his message? Well, what Jesus is saying is that he wants people to take his teaching seriously. He wants people to reflect on what he's saying and think deeply about what he's saying and even ask him, what does that parable mean? <laughs> Isn't it? Jesus wants followers who are deeply committed to following him. I don't know um, how many of you have been to this website. I won't say what website it is. Um, but this, has got, this website has got a prayer that you can pray now. And uh, I can't quite see the words from here, but I, I know it's quite small. I'll read them out to you, the words. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. I ask your forgiveness and now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you for dying on the cross for me to set me free from my sin. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? It's a great prayer. And then it says, did you pray this prayer? You can either click on, yes, I prayed the prayer, or no, but I have a question. And in the UK, in December, 4,000 people clicked on, yes, I prayed the prayer. Which is quite encouraging, isn't it? The 4,000 people actually clicked on, say, yes, I prayed the prayer. But how many of those 4,000 people are genuine followers of Jesus Christ? I'd like to think all of them. It'd be wonderful if all of them. But there's a good chance that maybe not all of them have. This is quite a famous prayer. It's, they call it like the sinner's prayer or something. And I know lots of people who have prayed that prayer, and they are Christians. But I know lots of people who have prayed that prayer, and they're not Christians. Maybe they prayed it years ago, and today they're atheists. So just praying that prayer sort of superficially, doesn't mean that people automatically become Christians. Everyone becomes Christians. Do you know, I think I could get a hundred people to pray that prayer today in Binfield. Almost guaranteed. Do you know how? If I offered them £500 to pray that prayer. Do you think I could get a hundred people in Binfield today to pray that prayer? If I knocked on the doors and were taking Christmas cards around, but could you imagine if I had bundles of cash in 500 pounds? It would empty our bank account. <laughs> but could you imagine if I said, I'll give you 500 pounds in cash if you just pray this prayer right now? How many people would say, no, it's all right. <laughs> I think most people, oh, 500 pounds cash, I'll do almost anything for 500 pounds in cash. But how many of them will become Christians? No, I, I, probably not all of them, isn't it? Probably very few of them. Because they're just doing it for the money, isn't it? Now, Jesus wants followers who are deeply committed to following him. So Jesus began his ministry by preaching, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. 
But now he's teaching in parables. And people need to sort of reflect deeply on what he's saying. So you can almost imagine when Jesus was speaking in parables, maybe the crowds were saying, well, nothing to see here. He's not doing miracles today. He's just telling us some random stories that don't make any sense. And people would turn around and walk away. (laughs) But some people would say, but what do those stories mean? What do those parables mean? They must have a deeper meaning for my life, for my soul, for my death day. What do those parables mean? And then if people did come up to Jesus and say, what does that parable mean? He would explain it to them. So parables were to stop Jesus from gaining half-hearted and superficial followers. Now all of us here this morning, we don't want to be half-hearted and superficial followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we? If we want to be wholehearted and deep followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must understand the parable of the sower. What do we read in verse 3? Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So what does this seed represent? And whom does the father represent? Well, the answer is in verse 14, isn't it? What does the seed represent? The seed represents the word of God. The living word of God. And... Who does the farmer represent? Well, the farmer represents anyone who shares the word of God with someone. So right now, I represent the farmer. And Dave represents the farmer. And Luke, and Naomi, and... And Catherine, yeah. They represent the farmer. Why? Because they're sowing the word of God into the hearts and minds of the children. And I represent the the farmer. And later on this afternoon, when the team of us go out with God's word written on this card, we're going to represent the farmer, isn't it? So in God's word. And we hope it will land on good soil, isn't it? But then, what about verse 4 then? What do we read there? Mark 4, verse 4. As he was scattering the seed, so as the farmer or as the preacher or as the evangelist was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. So who does the path represent in the parable of the sower? Well, the answer is in verse 15, isn't it? Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. What does the path represent? Well, the path represents those who have the word of God taken away from their hearts and their minds by Satan. And I'll be honest with you, I have probably been a path hundreds of times in my life. I've been a Christian coming up to 25 years now. So say on average you hear about the word of God sort of being preached and taught maybe 100 times a year. What's that? Is that 2,500? I've heard at least 2,500 sermons. 
I've heard the Bible being preached and taught at least 2,500 times. And many of those times, I've been like a hard path. And Satan has snatched the seed away from us. And that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. How many sermons can you remember? And how many sermons have changed your life? I could probably only remember vividly, maybe half a dozen or something, and tell you how they changed my life. We should remember more than that, shouldn't we? Sort of every week, we should be able to sort of say how we were changed. Every single time we come into contact with God's word. So the big question is, how can we stop that from happening? How can we stop Satan from snatching the word of God from our hearts and our minds? Well, before we hear the Bible being preached and taught, we must pray, deliver us from the evil one. Father in heaven, thank you for this privilege of being able to hear your words and to hear your word being preached and taught. Please don't let the devil snatch this seed, this word of God, away from my heart and my mind. So important that we pray that, that we resist the devil in the mighty name of Jesus. Because it'd be such a tragedy, isn't it, if we all left here this morning, if we all left here today, and we said, do you know what, I I can't remember what I heard this morning. I can't remember what I heard today. What has happened there? We've allowed the devil to snatch God's word away from our heart and our mind. It's so important that we always pray before you hear God's word that the devil won't have a foothold, that the devil won't be able to snatch away God's word from our hearts and minds. We need to be delivered from that evil one. And what about this five then? Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. So who do the rocky places represent? Well, the answer's in verses 16 and 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So who do the rocky places represent? Well, those who immediately sort of receive the word of God with joy, but quickly fall away when they go through trouble or persecution. And I've seen that happen dozens of times. People who have prayed, maybe the sinner's prayer, and they were quite excited. They heard the word of God. They responded to the word of God by praying a prayer. But then they go and tell other people about Jesus Or they start living a godly life and people laugh at them, make fun of them. And then they say, this is too hard. Actually, forget it. Forget all that Christianity stuff. If that's what life is like, following Jesus, the people laugh at you. Maybe some people might be violent to you. Some people will disown you. No, I'm having none of that. And that's a tragedy, isn't it? So how can we stop ourselves from being rocky places? 
How can we stop ourselves from being those who sort of fall away when trouble or persecution comes? Well, the answer's in verse 17, isn't it? What do we read there? But since they have no root, since they have no root, we must be rooted in Jesus and his word if we don't want to fall away quickly when we get into trouble and persecution for the word of God. So important that we're rooted deeply in Jesus and his word. And we get so much more out of sermons when we know our Bibles well, don't we? We should be constantly reading through our Bibles so we know it well, isn't it? And when we do receive persecution then for living a godly life or telling other people about Jesus, because we're rooted deep in Jesus, we will find comfort in him. We'll find security in him, isn't it? And we know so many people all over the world who are being persecuted severely this morning, but they know peace and joy. Why? Because they're rooted deep in Jesus and they're rooted in the word of God. If we're rooted in the word of God and we get persecuted, then it'll be like, yeah, I expect this. The Bible says those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. Yeah, of course this was going to happen. This is no surprise, isn't it? I know the Bible. This was going to happen. But I'm going to find my peace and my comfort and my strength and my joy now in Jesus. And then we go on to verse 7. What do we read in Mark 4 verse 7? Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. So who do the thorns represent? Verses 18 and 19 tell us. Who do the thorns represent? Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the thorns represent those who don't produce fruit, when they hear the word of God because they're worried about life because they want money and things more than living a godly life and no doubt we've all been there probably haven't we no doubt it's happening right now no doubt it's happening right now so, do you know I, I can't hear what that guy up the front is saying and you're so worried about all these different stuff. Especially we're so close to Christmas, isn't it? How am I going to pay the credit card bill that will come in January, isn't it? How am I going to afford to buy all the presents that I need to buy? All the food that I need to buy? All the decorations? All the stuff that I need to buy for Christmas? And what's the answer? You don't need all that to have a happy Christmas, do you? How can we stop ourselves from being thorns? How can we stop ourselves from worrying about life and wanting money and things more than living a godly life? Well, we have to cast all our worries on Jesus because he cares for us, isn't it? 1 Peter 5, 7, isn't it? 
Jesus says, don't worry, cast them on me. Take your worries to me. I care for you. And we have to meditate on Matthew 6. If you could turn uh, back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Such a helpful passage of scripture if we're worried about materialism, if we're worried about getting things. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Such an important passage of scripture that we will be studying soon in midweek as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. So this is what Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 19, page 971. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you. That not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Isn't that a glorious passage of scripture? So almost every time before you hear the Bible being preached and taught... We should meditate on that, shouldn't we? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. We don't want to be the thorns, worrying about life and wanting money and things more than living a godly life. Then we come to um, the last type of hearer then, the fourth type of hearer. In verse 8, Mark chapter 4, verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up 
grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. So who does the good soil represent? And the answer is in verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word of God, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So who does the good soil represent? Well, the good soil represents those who produce fruit when they hear and accept the word of God. And what does it mean to produce fruit after hearing and accepting the word of God? Well, you will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, living a godly life, isn't it? And you will also want to pass on the gospel to others. That's what it means to produce fruit, isn't it? You will live a life full of love, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, isn't it? You'll be living a kind life and you'll want to pass that on to other people. Producing fruit, living this life full of love, joy and peace. And we all want that, don't we? That's what we want to happen, isn't it? In a few minutes, I promise you it's only a few minutes. In a few minutes, isn't it? When this message finishes, what do we want to happen? We want to leave this place this morning predict this afternoon producing fruit don't we i want to leave this place living a life full of love joy and peace i want to leave this place this afternoon and i want to tell people the good news about jesus i want to be good soil so this is the hundred million dollar question isn't it how can we be good soil this morning today and for the rest of our lives well the answer is quite simple By not being a path, by not being rocky places and thorns. How can we be good soil this morning? By praying whenever we come into contact with God's word. Deliver me from the evil one. Don't, Father in heaven, don't let the evil one snatch away this seed from my heart and my mind today. Don't let him snatch away the word of God that's been planted in me today. And secondly, we are to be rooted in Jesus and his word. We are to find all our comfort, all our strength, all our purpose, all our meaning. We are to find our identity in Jesus and his word. And thirdly, we are to cast all our anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us. And we are to meditate on Matthew 6 verses 19 to 33, which teach us perspective about life isn't it we don't need to worry about life we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you